Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by exalting the glory of God, sharing and showing the love of Christ, and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now here's this week's message. Uh, because I did receive a couple of questions regarding uh, some of the stuff we talked last week. And this is the best place to answer those questions. So if you weren't here last week, uh, we were talking about um, how the fact that we escape God's wrath. And in uh, we ended last week's Sunday celebration uh, re-looking at one verse and looking at another verse. And I'm going to put these up on the screen really quick. But if you want to open to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, that's where we're going to go this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, uh, at the end, and Paul ends each of these chapters, and even though they weren't written as chapters, it was just one letter, but each chapter, uh, he ends each chapter talking about some mention of the return of Christ, and he ends chapter 1 talking, you know, to the Thessalonians saying, hey, that everyone talks about how you guys turned from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. So he was focusing on the fact that Jesus rescues us from the coming wrath. And then last week, uh, we looked at, we're in Revelation, and uh, Jesus gives this revelation to the Apostle John. And in chapter 15, it says, I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign, seven angels with the seven last plagues, last because with them, God's wrath is complete. So the, everything that led up to those plagues, the, the bold judgments and all that stuff that you look at in Revelation that we say, ah, that's horrible, that's crazy, uh, which we did a series a few years back on uh, the book of Revelations. Uh, but all of that stuff leading up to the seven last plagues, that's God pouring out his wrath because what John says is, hey, with these seven last plagues, his wrath is complete. And what Paul said is, you know, and he wrote to the Thessalonians and saying, hey, because you are now Christ followers, yeah, you're waiting for God's return, return of Jesus Christ, but Jesus also rescues us from God's wrath. So again, there's lots of theological standpoints on whether or not we have to go through, and there's names to them, but the reason I'm specifically not trying to mention those names is because none of those are in the Bible, the names of those theological standpoints. I'm just trying to look at what does the Bible say? And Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica to encourage them. One of his encouragements was, guess what? When Jesus returns, he's going to rescue us from his coming wrath. Now, the question I got, I get this a lot, and I don't know if you guys have ever asked this, is what kind of God pours out his wrath on humanity? What happened to the God of love? And, and you know, how can he be a loving God if he's, you know, doing all these hard? Has anyone ever hear that? before? Okay, yeah, and a lot of people ask that. Here's the thing. Jesus actually answers that question. And, it, and, and if we're about to look at this, it's not really Jesus who answers it. It's actually the people who Jesus are talking to that come up with that answer. Jesus merely lays out a scenario. scenario. So we're going to look at that quick. How many people are familiar with the parable of the tenants, not the talents? That's different. This is the parable of the tenants. Anyone ever? Okay. You, you're, I'm, we're going to put it up here on the screen, and you're like, oh, yeah, I know that one. It's called the parable of the tenants. And in Matthew, Jesus is talking to uh, a bunch of people, 
And I'm going to read this, and I'm going to go back and explain. He says, but the tenants seized his servants. This one they beat up. That one they killed. Another they stoned. So he sent some other servants, more than the first group, and they did the same to them. And what Jesus did, he says, I'm going to tell you a parable. And he says, there was a farmer or a, a guy who owned a vineyard, and he let it out to tenants. Hey, you guys can come live on it. You can get fruit from it. Uh, you can sell the fruit. You can make money from it. But remember, it's mine. So there's going to come a time where I'm going to say, hey, you guys need to pay me because you're living on my property. And they said, sure, we'll do that. And apparently they made a lot of money from it. So he sent the guy who owned it. He sent his people to say, hey, I need you to go collect what is rightfully mine from the tenants. But the tenants seized his servants. They beat him up. They killed another. They stoned him. And, and they did the same. They, every time he sent one, they killed him. And then he says this, finally, he, meaning the farmer, he sent them his son, saying, my son they will respect. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they grabbed him, they threw him out of the vineyard, and they killed him. And then Jesus asked this question, now when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? And the, the, the parable was because Jesus was saying, hey, God created the heavens and the earth. He created the earth for us to live on with him. And we went through all of Genesis looking at that. But then people said, I don't want anything to do with God. I want to live here on the earth and do what I want to do. It's, it's, it's my home. I want to build my property. I want to build my business. I don't need God. I want nothing to do with God. And then God said, hey, you know what? I'm going to keep trying to reach you. They rejected him. He said, I'm going to try to reach you through a family. They rejected him. He said, I'm going to build a nation that's going to reach the world. They rejected him. And then finally, he sent his son. He said, hey, you know what? You guys are here, but this is God's world. And he is due full worship and praise and sovereignty over everything on the planet because he is God. And they killed him and said, no, I don't think so. And Jesus asked this question, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? And in my head, I hear it. Anyone watch that show, uh, What Would You Do? John Keonius? I, I feel like that's what, what would you do? And that, that, because that's the question that if it were me and I sent my son and they killed him, I would pour out my wrath, because that word wrath, it doesn't mean like a responsive anger, like you stub your toe and then you scream or yell or knock something over. It means a passionate, burning anger. And that's how God is going to respond. And this is not Jesus responding, but the people that Jesus is talking to when he says, what do you think he's going to do when he comes? And they said, and this is the complete Jewish Bible version, because this is the way the Jewish mind would have understood it. And almost all the versions say us, almost the same thing. They answered him, he will viciously destroy those vicious men and rent out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crops when it's due. And this is what Jesus is saying. Hey, there's going to be a time when God pours out his wrath and he destroys all of this and all those who say, I want nothing to do with them, fine. And he's going to create a new heavens and a new earth. 
for all those who say, yeah, I want to spend eternity with you. And the bad part is those who say, I, I want nothing to do with God, he's going to honor their request. The only place for them is going to be a place called hell, which we can get into in a whole other series. But Paul writes this to them as an encouragement, saying, hey, I know you guys are, 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 have questions about the return of Christ, but I also know that you're being persecuted for your faith, so I want to encourage you with this letter. Now, as we get into chapter 2, if you have a Bible open up there, because the way that he starts to encourage them is reminding them, hey, I am not just encouraging you. I'm not just somebody who walked along the street and saw you weren't doing okay. We know each other, and we spent time together. So in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and drop down to about the latter half of verse 6, he says this, As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you, like a mother caring for her little, ch her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. And this is important because there's a, I don't want to say a debate, but there's some people that kind of say, you know, the street evangelism, when you stop people on the street, share the gospel with them, you know, they commit their lives to Christ or lead them through a prayer, and then you move on is good. And other people say, no, you need to spend time with them and help them grow and nurture. And it's not that one is better than the other. Each has their place. But when you can spend time with people and have to help them grow in their relationship with God, which is what Paul did on all of his journeys. He got to know them. He spent time with them. And all of his letters are responding to them out of a place of knowing them. It gives people some, some sense of, hey, I'm not in this by myself. I have other people who are connected to God with me. But then he goes on and he says this, verse 9, Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We work night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. And he's reminding them, hey, we didn't show up to preach to you for money. We weren't doing this for fame. We weren't doing this to build big mega church platforms. We worked, didn't take any money from you. We did it because we wanted to share the gospel with you. Now, uh, drop down to verse 13. And he says this, and we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it actually is the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. And then he says, for you became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. And we talked about this last week. They did what Paul did, what many of the other people did. Uh, they got into this cycle of the gospel where once the gospel is preached, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and from Paul's perspective, also the return of Christ, not everyone receives it. People may hear it, but not everyone receives it, which is why they ran Paul out of town, the people that didn't receive it, but the ones who did, they received it, and then they went out into their homes, into people they knew, their homes, their schools, their workplaces, their communities, and they shared the love of Christ. They showed the love of Christ to other people, so much so that people are talking about, wow, you know, these guys over here, they're just so loving and so nice and so kind. What's with them? They say it's this new thing they have, this relationship with God. But then those people would hear the gospel from them, and they would do the same thing. Some of them would receive it. Many of them would reject it, but the ones who received it would then go into their homes and their schools and their workplaces and share and show the love of Christ. Drop down to verse 17. Paul says, but brothers, when we were torn away from you for a short time in person, not in thought, and this is what happens in 
uh, is recorded in Acts 17, he says, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan stopped us. And I'm going to come back to this in a minute because this is important. Verse 19, for what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Paul said, when Christ returns, we're not going to be just like, yay, God is back. We're going to be like, hey, Jesus, look at what we did while we, you were gone. And he's going to point to that church. That's what we poured into. That's what we did while you were gone. And then he says this, so we can stand it no longer, starting in verse 1 of chapter 3. We thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and God's fellow worker in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith. So he says, hey, we were missing you. We knew what you were going through. And just a little bit of background, and I think I shared this last week, when Paul left uh, Thessalonica, he wasn't leaving because he was done. He left because he got run out of town because riots started breaking out because he was sharing the gospel. People were upset at it. So even though some received it, there were a lot of people that were like, oh, no, not in my city. And riots broke out. And they snuck him out of town. They beat a couple of people. But then the people in Thessalonica were like, hey, where'd Paul go? Oh, he's 50 miles away in Berea. So they got a group together, hopped on a bus, headed to Berea, and started protesting against him there. That's how opposed they were to the gospel. So when Paul says, hey, Satan stopped us from coming back, as many people as God has in a community or a city or a school, guess what? All the other ones, they may not be opposed to your message, but even if they're rejecting it, Satan's like, okay. But then if they're definitely opposed to it, Satan's like, definitely okay. But then he says this, verse 3, chapter 3, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. So he says, we're sending, uh, we sent Timothy to you because we knew you were undergoing persecution. That was the trials, that people were criticizing you, talking bad about you. They were posting funny memes on your Facebook. They were laughing at you because you were, you know, reading your Bible at lunch at work and all this stuff. So we sent Timothy to you to encourage you. And then verse 4, uh, excuse me, the latter half of verse 3, you know quite well that we were destined for that. Now, the trials he's talking about, persecution again, and he says, verse 4, in fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted, and it turned out that way, as you will know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter might have tempted you, and our efforts might have been useless. Now, what he's referring to is when Paul taught them, not only did he tell them about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Not only did he tell them about the return of Jesus Christ, he also told them, hey, folks aren't going to be happy with you because you're a Christian. You're not going to be the most popular person at work. You're not going to be the most popular kid at school. The people in your community aren't going to be happy with you. And there's a, a, um, um, a, a group, I don't know what they're calling, of people that kind of preach and share that if you become a Christian, you never go through anything, you never have hard times, uh, the sun always shines. Everything works out for you. Uh, and there's a theological term for that. And it's the same in Greek, Hebrew, and English. And it's baloney. Because that's not true. 
That's why Paul said, when I was with you, I told you, you are destined to have people make fun of you, talk about you, hate you, mislike you. They're not going to want to come to your events. They're not going to want to come to your, you know, your, your parties. They're going to reject you. They're not going to want to hang out with you because you're a Christian. And Paul said this because when he started his ministry, God told someone, hey, I need you to go. When Paul was, you know, could not see, he says, I need you to go pray for him. And they were like, Jesus, do you know who you're talking about? And Jesus' response was, yeah, but I need him to know how much he is going to suffer for the gospel. He's not going to suffer because he's Jewish. He's not going to suffer because of, you know, where he lives. He's going to suffer because he's going to go out and share God's word. And there are a lot of people who suffer through a lot of things, but what Paul is, is, is stating here, and the whole reason he's writing them this encouragement, is because he's familiar with everything that they went through. And he writes to them and he says this. He says, first of all, I know you. I'm not just some pastor or evangelist, and there's nothing wrong with evangelists that blow through a town and they share the gospel and lots of people get saved. Billy Graham did that for generations, and there are literally millions of people who are in a relationship with God today because of him, praise God. But he says, I am encouraging you because I know you. Not only do I know you, but I know your struggle. I know what you went through because I got run out of town. I saw the hatred of people for the word of God. Not only do I know you and I know your struggle, but I've been through your struggle. I've been in that place where people made fun of me, where people beat me, where I couldn't get jobs. And Paul was a tent maker where no one would buy my tents. Because you're that guy that sells these tents, but you use the money to go share the word of God. I don't want nothing to do with you. I'm not going to set foot in your business. I'm not going to talk to you. I'm going to ignore you. I'm going to block you on Facebook, all of that. But here's what he says. You know what? Our God is bigger than our struggle. Our God is bigger than what I've been through and what you've been through. And the part, again, this is what makes it so amazing. And we didn't read this, so I'm going to close by putting this verse up on the screen. He starts off chapter 2, writing to them, and he says this. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without result. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi. And I don't know if you're aware, but when Paul was in Philippi, that's where he was beaten by a bunch of soldiers, thrown, the phrases under the prison, and then God delivered him. When he left there, he went to Thessalonica. So when he showed up in Thessalonica, he didn't show up dressed in jeans, fresh kicks, riding in a nice BMW or a Tesla, which is the way I would do it. But he showed up probably limping with scars fat lip, possibly missing some teeth, black eyes, bruised, couldn't have anyone hug him from the whip marks on his back. That's how he showed up to them to say, God is so freaking good that you need to share your lives with him because he died so that he could share his life with you. And they are looking at this guy, beaten up and bruises all over him, sharing about the joy of the Lord, and that's what made some of them say, I've got to have that. Because if I ever go through something like that, I want to have that level of joy 
what Paul tells them is, hey, once he left and they started getting persecuted, people weren't going to their businesses. People were making fun of them. People were talking about them. People were ignoring them. Paul said, hey, I'm writing to encourage you because I've been there. I know what you're going through. But our God is greater than that. And sometimes it's great, and we were talking about this when we did the Faith Pittsburgh live stream, and I'm going to close with this as the band comes up. Sometimes it's great. It is really, really, really great when you can have, uh, you know, a pastor show up and a pastor talk to you and a pastor pray for you and say, I know what you're going through. I know what your troubles are. I know what you whatever. And they can open the Bible and say, but look at what God says. That's great. There's a time for that. And it works great. But sometimes, rather than the pastor to show up, it's great when a friend shows up who has been through your struggle and says, you know what? God got me through this. I'm still here. And I believe he can do the same for you. That's why it's so important that not just on Sunday morning are you hearing encouraging words from a pastor or when you're driving to work, are you hearing positive and encouraging K-love? But hopefully, in your workplace and in your home and in your schools and in your circles of influence, you are hearing from other Christ followers, God's got this. God, God is bigger than this election issue. God is bigger uh, than, than, than someone dealing with whether they're real or false assault charges. God is bigger than someone who has been assaulted because there are so many people who have dealt with that and God has brought them through it. And I wish that they would show up for other people and say, hey, God has got me through it. I want to be there and encourage you and help you through it. Because it's great that we have a God who says, I love you and I died for you, but we also have a God who said, I came down, I walked among you, I know what it is to be beaten, I know what it is to be rejected, I know what it is for people to talk bad about you, I know what it is for people to hate you, simply because your name is the name of God. Probably all of us know someone in our circles of influence, whether it be right now or today or tomorrow, could use that level of encouragement because of something they're going through where we could probably be the ones to go up and say, you know what? I've been there too. And what got me through it was the strength and the love of a God who looked at me despite my circumstances and said, I'm willing to die for you and I'm willing to walk through this with you and I'm willing to help you through the journey. I'm going to ask you guys to bow your heads before we stand for the close of the time of praise. God, we pray that you would put it on our hearts to be that voice that speaks to that friend, that neighbor, that coworker, that family member, and says, I know you're hurting. I know you want to cry out. But I also know a God who brought me through this same thing. And can do the same for you. And I pray that we would be like Job's friends who, when Job was dealing with all of his issues, loss of family, loss of uh, all of his children, loss of all of his finances, everything overwhelming where he should have gone insane, he had friends who just showed up and sat with him and were just there for him. I pray that we would do that for the people in our circles of influence. 
pray that as your spirit leads us, that we could lead them from that place of hurting and pain to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you guys to stand, and we're just going to close out with a song of praise. Thank mm-hmm. you.